podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Three wins on the spin for Scotland. Super John McGinn provides Steve Clark and the fans with some 2020 vision ahead of the playoffs in March as the importance of Christie becomes crystal clear and Nasey nullifies the naysayers with another handing goal. This is the Hand and Roar podcast with me, Andy Barge, joined by Media Scotland journalist Ben Ramage and Tartan Scarf blogger Gordon Shiak. Successful into the campaign, fellas 2-1 in Cyprus and 3-1 last night against Kazakhstan. It was the least expected of us, Gordon, but quite reassuring to see us come through those games. Yeah, absolutely. We, The task ahead of the team was to get three wins on the bounce, to send us into the playoffs in March with some form of uh, of confidence and momentum. I think you saw that with Steve Clark's team selection, the fact that he went for the exact same 11, two games in a row. That's all about building consistency of selection, of performance. Um, and they passed that test. They passed it. Got the wins that we needed. Ben, how do you feel? Yeah, no, I'm more confident than three games ago. You know, I think you have to take the positives from winning three. I can't remember how many years it is, but it's been a while since we've won three. I know the opponents aren't the trickiest that we've had, but at least it gives the Tottenham Army a bit of a bit of confidence going into these uh, the semi-final, which is at Hampton. You know, it's going to be massive, and I think we can be a lot more confident going into that now. Granted, Kazakhstan thumped us in the opening game, but say... Please don't remind if, me. Stop. <laughs> if, we had, if we had, as expected, taken three points from that and then the Belgium games and Russia games went as they did, mm-hmm. we would be and are exactly where we would probably expect to be in this group. Belgium are another level. Russia are simply better, a better team than us, a more experienced team than us. So if we'd gotten the result in Kazakhstan, would there, much, would there be much really to complain about so far? Uh, I wouldn't say so. I think it was more the performances at the start of the campaign where you could just see that we were falling. We were really at almost rock bottom. Whereas I feel like from last night, you can see that there has been progress made. It's still baby steps. It's still not the best teams we're playing against, but you can see that there's at least some form of improvement, which for me, yeah, it was always going to be a really difficult group. Belgium and Russia were at the World Cup, you know, that was always they were always likely to be the top two so it's, it was important to finish third and at least to show some signs of waking up from what was you know Kazakhstan away was probably one of the worst games in years for, for Scotland so at least we've turned that corner and now Clark his ideas seem to be filtering through I would say well, let's run through the continuity then that Steve Clark brought to the pitch so we've got David Marshall and goals for both games pretty mm-hmm. much undisputed number one at the moment yep. Liam Palmer at right back was given the nod we'll touch on all of the players individually in a second or most of them anyway but Palmer given the rod, the nod at right back Gallagher's first two caps alongside McKenna and then it was Greg Taylor at left back Ryan Jack brought in alongside Callum McGregor in midfield John McGinn playing just ahead and then Christie and Forrest Wide of Naismith we'll start with you Gordon which of the players that came into the team impressed you the most? Um, for me, I would say I was very impressed with Liam Palmer in these two games. I think right back has been a problem position for us probably for the last 10 years, really. I mean, even when you look back at when Alan Hutton 
was playing more games for Scotland than he was for his club team, <laughs> that shows you there were no other options mm-hmm. other than Alan Hutton. So I think to have someone come in who is a he's a certified right back, he plays right back for his mm-hmm. club team. I thought he did really well. Mm-hmm. I thought he defended well. Um, I thought especially last night there were some moments when Kazakhstan would try and get into quick transitions, quick counterattacks. We'd have two or three guys bombing away up the park uh, off one of our corners, for example. Palmer, very often, he was the one that was able to come in and just mop up, play the ball back to the goalkeeper and just snuff things out, which I thought was um, pleasing. What about Greg Taylor on the left side? Because Andy Robertson, captain, will be in the team when fit. That's a guarantee. But don't know, correct me if you think this is too bold a shout. I don't think Taylor's performances over the last couple of games have been any worse than what Robertson's provided in the campaign so far. And that's me not advocating for Taylor to start, but I think it shows that we've got another reliable player in that position. Yeah, again, another left-back. We do seem to be uh, <laughs> fairly well-stacked in that position. But, yeah, I think we have been disappointed with Robertson in the last few games. I think it doesn't matter whether he's won the Champions League or not. If he's not performing in the shirt then there's an issue there. I don't know if it's the, the armband, I'm not 100% sure, but Taylor was really impressive. I thought given his lack of game time uh, for Celtic, these were still quite important games for the country and he, he passed it, you know. Set up both John McGinn's goals. Yeah. Well, um, one against Cyprus and one against Kazakhstan. Yeah. And he's still really young, so it, it's very good to have another option there, especially given the fact that Tierney and Robertson have had injury problems you know, we, I don't think we've had them both in the squad mm-hmm. for a long time. They keep yeah. saying it's a problem, but yeah, they're true. very, very often not in the squad. Yeah. Um, it's good that we have another solid left back. That come March, if we need to, uh, you know, if he wants to play Tierney right back. Say if Robertson's injured, you know, it's good to have another option. And fair play to him because he really did uh, step up to the challenge. Gordon has Declan Gallagher worked his way right into the mix. <sighs> wow, what what a question. Um, <laughs> I think he, I think he did fine again. I, I I don't think he was as tested as he will be in March in the playoffs. Um, I think we talked about the consistency of selection. I think it probably does make sense if we've had these this pairing for the last two games. It probably makes sense not to try something brand new. We've we did advocate in the past for McKenna and Cooper potentially being our best our best pairing in theory on paper, but right now we're looking at. A Nations League semi-final playoff is that the time to start a brand new centre-half pairing mm-hmm. I don't think it can be so uh, yeah as far as I'm concerned the shirt says and, and good luck to him okay. Ben yeah, I'm, I'm, I would actually say he's probably I would probably pick Gallagher over McKenna at the moment I honestly I'm really I, I, I fear for McKenna I think his form has really dipped uh, for, for club and that has actually come through um, I don't think he was horrendous in these two games but he just doesn't look like the really confident mm-hmm. You know, hard work. I just feel like there's there's a bit of an issue there, and I'm not sure I would put him into that semi final unless his club form has improved. Up, yeah. And if Gallagher's club form continues as it has, then I would be happy for him. But again, if he doesn't keep to that standard, then I'm not sure if he is good enough for that semi final. If someone else comes back, I think Cooper. Sorry to interrupt you there, Gordon. I think Cooper when he came into the team recently looked fine even though we were well beaten by Russia and Belgium I think Cooper did well mm-hmm. so if if we want to play and I, this is a big deal for a lot of managers to play with a right sided and a left sided centre half together we have a lot of left footed centre halves <laughs> yeah. if Declan Gallagher continues his form at Motherwell and they're up the top end of the table and Liam Cooper's back fit by the time the playoffs come around would it make sense to play Cooper alongside Gallagher? It certainly could. It certainly could. I think 
the thing that's definitely in, in Steve Clark's uh, benefit Steve Clark right now is that we've got you know a good best part of three months between now and the next games so the sample size that he's going to be looking at when he's assessing these players is going to be far larger you know you look at like the, the first first get together of the, of the season in September guys have maybe only played one or two games and you're expecting to judge them on how they're going to come into the international setup we'll have far more knowledge of how these guys are playing mm. at, at club level when it comes to March We've seen a lot of Ryan Jack at club level, obviously he's best up here playing for Rangers. Many people shouted for him to be thrown into the team. He was. How do you feel he did, Ben? Yeah, no, I thought he did fine. I thought, I still feel like Scott um, McTominay has a bit more about him. There's just a bit more star quality and that's probably why he's playing at Manchester United. I, I feel like if he comes back fit in time for March, I would play him over Jack. But I was impressed with Jack and I felt like he did he did enough um, I wouldn't say that he'd played his way into the team as, as like a guaranteed starter, um, but yeah, I thought he was he was perfectly good at the, the holding role. Um, Gordon, are you a team McTominay? I am, yeah, I am. Um, look, I, I think I think Jack did a really good job um, in these two games. I think, like you said with Greg Taylor, I think he's a really good option to have her in the squad. That sort of central kind of holding midfield position isn't a position that we're blessed with many options in so it is great to have someone who does that for his club who plays well consistently but I think we've we've spoken a lot uh, about the mentality of the group and the, the mentality of the players facing the pressure of playoffs in March and for me Scott McTominay plays in front of 80,000 of some of the most demanding fans <laughs> in world football every week he's 22 years old the pressure of playing at Hamden in a, in a playoff semi-final that's not going to phase him in the slightest so I want Team McTominay Do you think he's best positioned alongside Cal McGregor because I, I can't see Cal McGregor really being dropped at all no matter how he performs because I, I don't think I'm wide of the mark in saying that he's not had too much influence on the Scotland team so far he kind of keeps things ticking over he's a nice pretty player but I don't think he's hit the ground running the way that McGinn has recently or Christie yeah, I'm not sure if maybe he almost has to sacrifice his creativity a wee bit if McGinn's playing further mm -hmm. up, which, to be honest, if it works, then it's, you know McGinn is absolutely on fire so, at the so, moment. So would you would you like McTominay and McGregor as two sitters then a Scotland midfield with McGinn just in front? I think that's fine, and I think McTominay and McGregor can both go forward, but they're best uh, more holding the mm -hmm. fort, and especially if that lets someone like McGinn... You've seen when we played McGinn at the base... It just hasn't worked quite as well. He's not quite as solid defensively. Whereas if we've given him free reign, it's almost as a ten, and he has absolutely thrived in it. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he's he's finishing his passing, he's, he's holding up to the ball, his high press. He's got everything to play that role. So I'm I'm really happy for McGregor to stay there if it allows McGinn to keep doing what he's been doing. Do you um, agree, Gordon? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I always find it fascinating. You know the. You, we talk about players individually, but obviously they play collectively as a group, you know, so it's it's often not easy to determine exactly what one player is bringing to the squad when what they're bringing is maybe, you're, as you said, allowing someone else to do things better. I think, I think McGregor does, in these last two games, he's done a lot of quite unflashy, unheralded work and a lot of carrying water for other players and I think perhaps if you took him out of that midfield then you'd really notice he was missing okay. and then you'd yeah. notice what he brings to the team mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. let's chat about John McGinn because it was super John McGinn super John McGinn <laughs> is that the, the Hibs Twitter guy <laughs> entered the room <laughs> the the impact of McGinn was hindered certainly when he was played as one of the two that was mm -hmm. holding whoever it was that was playing in the 10 McGinn had a different responsibility and a different role mm -hmm. 
completely agree with you, Ben, a minute ago, saying that this is just giving him a new lease of life going mm-hmm. forward. He's much better arriving in the opposition box rather than trying to protect his own one. Is he first name on the team sheet pretty much at the moment, John McGinn, with this form? I'd say given his form because it's in the Premier League as well. He's and you see when you see players like Jack Grealish as well talking about you know he's the, his favourite player that he's ever played with because of how hard <laughs> he works, his passing, his finishing. He really is the complete article because you get a lot of these midfielders that can't really be asked to put the shift in as well. Mm-hmm. But McGinn just has this sort of dogged mentality where he just chases everything and that puts pressure on the opposition defence that just helps the whole team. You see it with Naismith as well, the way he chases mm-hmm. defenders down. It's a mental thing. It puts pressure on them. And he is exactly what we need if we're going to play an attacking midfielder. He fits that role just beautifully. Well, I think Clark did it with Kilmarnock when he played Dicker in power. And then it was normally Malumbu that was given that role in front just to go mm-hmm. and do what he wants. And I think that allows McGinn to really just seize that position if he knows he's got two players behind him, Gordon, that are marshalling yep. uh, the area. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think what we've seen with John McGinn is that International managers will always say that they don't have enough time with the players, they don't have enough time on the training pitch, especially when it's two games in a week and they come back and they have to recover. They don't have the time to drill in specific instructions that are different maybe to what a player does at their club side. So it makes sense if a player is playing a certain role at their club side, do it in the international team and they'll fly into it. And we've seen that with John McGinn. I read Dean Smith, the Aston Villa manager, speaking about how he'd sort of purposefully moved John McGinn's position to get him closer to the opposition goal and get him to make more of those late runs into the box and he's absolutely replicated that mm. with Scotland and you've seen the results of, yeah. for club and country I think that's going to be really interesting because although we've been blessed with nice centre mids over the past couple of years and some effective centre mids in in the middle third we've never really had somebody who would burst forward and win a match for us or really influence mm. the game in the opposition box I really am struggling to remember the last time we had a centre mid that would go and win a game for Scotland and I, off yeah. the top of my head I'm really struggling to pick one yeah, yeah I mean unless you're counting someone like James McFadden in the midfield nah, he's sphere. a winner, I <laughs> but yeah. yeah 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 no you're absolutely right and James yeah. McFadden as well me and Ben were chatting about this earlier I said that I think McGinn maybe already is and will be the biggest fan favourite since McFadden mm-hmm. and you're basically saying similar Yes, but I was also saying that Ryan Christie is the new Jason. That was when we moved on to Christie. Um, Because I think Christie has that sort of... You saw in the first game of these two that he just has this little switch where he can can just spot something. It was with the goal. You just feel like he could create something out of nothing. And we haven't had a lot of players like that where sometimes if it's tight, nil-nil... You could just have someone that can actually just bring something out of nothing. Like unpick the lock. Yeah. Exactly. They played yeah. a, through, a couple of really nice through balls to Palmer mm-hmm. yesterday, coming mm-hmm. inside from the right and Palmer yeah, yeah. on the overlap. And it's dribbling as well. Mm-hmm. I just I feel like he's overtaken Fraser for that position. I think I think he's really shown how much he can do um, and how influential he can be. And I think it would be very harsh on him to drop him for this for this semi final in I, March. I think Christie's nailed on to play as long as he continues like this. But it wouldn't be Fraser a drop. Forest, maybe Forest, yeah, yeah. yeah. Forest. And, and I know that in the highlights show him involved yesterday, and he did pick up the ball on the left flank a couple of times, made a move towards opposition territory. But when he got there, just fell apart. I, I don't know what the difference is with James Forrest when he plays at club level to international level. Mm-hmm. It he had his two appearances in the Nations League against Israel and Albania last year, excellent, but still, since then, that this whole campaign. I've not seen James Forrest have a good game for Scotland. Mm-hmm. 
I Certainly don't. not how he looks when he plays for Celtic. And no, so. you've spoken about it. Maybe some players are just suited to international football. They thrive off the pressure of mm-hmm. it. They know they have the whole country behind them, but also on them. I think Boris just seems to it just seems to dampen his game. It just yeah. seems like he struggles under that pressure. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm still actually yet to really see Fraser translate his Bournemouth form to yeah. the Scotland team as well. I feel so, Fraser's just a better player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say technically yes, but I still feel like neither have really. Shown. Yeah, I would agree. So, but then, like you say, is who do who do you pick? Mm-hmm. I, I would still have one of them. Do you like though the fact that Christie was playing on the right side, and then Forrest and Fraser, who's also right-footed, on the left, mm-hmm. and then both wingers cutting in Gordon rather than trying to hit the byline? Well, I think that speaks to obviously the the approach that we're we're always going to take because we're blessed with quite decent fullbacks, especially on the left hand side, is that you use these inverted wingers when you want them to come inside and allow allow your wing backs to bomb on past them, you know, whether that's Greg Taylor or Andy Roberts on the left and Liam Palmer on the right. And again that, that was an aspect of Liam Palmer's game that I thought he did really well last mm-hmm. night. Yeah. He did attack well, he did make good runs, he made clever runs, and it was his it was his cross that was forced in for the second goal. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, I can I can I can get behind these in, these inverted wingers, and of course that's where Christie's goal came from on Saturday as well. That he mm-hmm. could cut in on his left, spot that far corner, and just he has the ability to to put it in the in the top corner. So although Christie is thriving in the number ten position for Celtic, is it worth moving him out onto the wing just so that he's in the team? And I think it accommodates McGinn as well, though, because mm-hmm. then you get two very good playmakers instead yeah. of just one. Yeah. McGinn couldn't play out wide whereas Christie's clever enough and he's quick enough he's actually surprisingly quick as well so Mm -hmm. you know and linking up with Palmer like you say I think that's what puts Palmer ahead of O'Donnell at the moment because O'Donnell is a solid right back but he's not very good going forward I don't don't, don't see that attacking threat so I think Palmer's going to be the the first choice for this this semi-final now unless Tierney (sighs) comes back and stakes a claim but, but, but again, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about the risk of trying what would now be an untested centre-back partnership in a playoff semi-final that's a one-off game, it's do or die. Playing Tierney at right-back, that seems now like a big risk as well. You know, I've, I had really hoped he'd be in the squad this, this these, for these two games, yeah. he'd play these two games, but he hasn't. And now that mm-hmm. I'm erring against playing him in the... Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if he established himself in the Arsenal backline mm. and was playing phenomenally well. Yeah. Then I think, okay, we we have to fit him in. But if he isn't playing, if he's still a wee bit injury prone and he's still in and out of the team, mm-hmm. and Palmer is playing right back every week, I would err yeah. on the yeah. side of Palmer because <laughs> it's, it's sustainable. Yeah. Okay, solid. I think I would say if I, if I, if I could just make one yeah, final, yeah, sure. one final point on John McGinn just to bring it back. I think the thing that impresses me almost the most about John McGinn is that not only is he is he good technically he's good with his feet he's fast he's always positive and looking upfield he's physically incredibly strong mm-hmm. like if these playoff games might become a bit of a slugfest you can't bully John McGinn yeah, like John true. McGinn will not be bullied off the ball he will mm-hmm. not be knocked out of a game mm-hmm. I don't know what Christie's like if you try to get up in his face but I just Christie definitely has an aggressive streak but yeah. he's not got the kind of McGinn's a still in a China shop approach that McGinn has got sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Which which I think could be huge for us. Mm -hmm. It's it's certainly different to the kind of more fancy midfielders that we've got, ones that maybe Mm. aren't up for such a fight. I think McGinn wouldn't shy away from that at all. Mm. Someone else I think who wouldn't shy away from a fight, Naismith, Mm. back in the (laughs) team. He's he's coming back, and every time he comes back, he seems to influence the game or score a goal. Mm-hmm. given the captain's armband and I'll, I'll make the point I tweeted this from the account last night if Naismith is going to be a regular in the squad he's a better option for a captain than Andy Robertson is 
I would say opinion. so. I think his game now is is the best actually probably in the squad. And coming into a game like this semi-final, you think of the pressure that's going to be on that game. Mm-hmm. And he is a marshal on the pitch as well. Yeah. You know, he leads by example, and he he's almost like a second manager on the pitch. And there's so few players like that. Yep. I think it would be it would be stupid not to utilise that. Mm-hmm. Just to, even just to get us through these games. Would that be a, a big call, but a sensible one, Gordon, to remove Robertson of the cap to see if Naismith's going to be around? I, it would be a big call because obviously Andy Robertson is one of our best players. He's one of our most liked players. He's one of our highest profile players. I think for the good of the group, I think it would be a good call. I think Stephen Naismith showed in these two games exactly the player that he is. Mm-hmm. You know his leadership qualities, his experience, mm-hmm. and and as you mentioned earlier, Ben, his his game intelligence is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. You know the way that like start the second half last night. You know he takes that ball in with his back to goal he knows fine well that there's no benefit there's so many defenders around him there's no benefit to try and play a little flick to anybody but he knows he's going to get clattered from behind (laughs) gets clattered wins the free kick that's where the equaliser comes from you know and I've said time and again that we talk about certain players playing for Scotland that make other players better I think Stephen Naismith makes our attacking midfielders better because he's better playing this back to goal Mm -hmm. he wins headers he he takes the ball in how many free kicks did he win on Saturday you know he drags the team up the pitch Mm -hmm. and he he can then give it out to the channels out to our wingers and then get back into the box and finish a chance you know I think think he's the perfect model of the striker that Scotland need is he number one striker for us he is for me, hundred percent. Yeah, I would. I think, I mean, Griffiths for me has that star quality and the sort of the finishing that probably no one else has. But for these games coming up as well, I just I feel like Naismith might be the cool, calm head to actually lead the team because there's going to be I just there's going to be so many nerves going into <laughs> this game. You know, this is two games to get to a major finals. We're going to need. There's still a lot of players with not very many caps. Yep. So I think having someone mm. that has plus fifty. He's got a good scoring record as well. Mm-hmm. You'd hang your hat on him to take a chance under pressure. I, I would start him. So I, I think I think sorry, sorry to cut in there, but I think as well, like the goal he scored. I mean, obviously people look at John McGinn tangling with the goalkeeper, <laughs> but the clincher for me that makes it just such a classic Stephen Naismith goal is I, I I looked up today. The defender on the line is four inches taller than Stephen Naismith. <laughs> Stephen Naismith wins the header. <laughs> that just sums it up for me. That yeah. that's. That's what he brings. He's, it's funny you mention his, his goal record because I don't associate Stephen Naismith's primary attribute with being a goal scorer. Mm-hmm. I, I associate more with being a pest and somebody who just gets in about the defenders, makes life hard for them. But he scored last night, which uh, was obviously good striker's goal. Scored against Portugal last year, last minute friendly. Did he get one or two against Albania at Hamden? I can't quite remember the Nations League. Was one of them given as an own goal in the end? I can't remember. Yeah, but he one, did. one of one of them was given his own goal, but he but, forced it. Yeah. He forced it. He so that yeah. we'll say it as his yeah. goal. Okay, so that's four and six yeah. uh, for Naismith. Mm-hmm. Last six Scotland games, four goals. Yeah. That has gone completely over my head. Yeah, if Naismith's involved <laughs> in the team. Well, the season before last, when Hearts had their good starts to the season, he was scoring for fun, and then he got injured, and you could see the difference it made to that team. Yeah. You know, they almost fell apart without their, him. Their win percentage went from like eighty percent to twenty yeah. percent without him. And but his goals, it was as well as leading. He was scoring a lot and a lot of clever finishes. He's a very clever finisher. So, you know, it didn't surprise me that his record for Scotland was was that. Um, you know. Yeah. Let's look at the teams that we may be drawn against in the playoff. Then it's Israel, Bulgaria, Hungary, or Romania. 
as we said before we started recording boys they are all much of a muchness for me there is one standout country in that group for us to draw and it's Bulgaria how would you feel about that Ben? Uh, well they looked pretty poor against uh, England um, and obviously with the shake up with the manager as well maybe it's a good time to play them um, like, like we said I think that it's really going to be about how we manage that game um, in that semi-final if we can make Hamden a fortress I think we can spook most teams um, that aren't sort of the top top mm-hmm. tier nations mm-hmm. um, I think Hamden will sell out I think it would I think it has to it absolutely has to yeah I think this is a really really big opportunity for the Scottish FA marketing team the fact that Scotland Supporters Club memberships run out at the end of this year so they're up for renewal you know if they're if they come up with some sort of policy where you renew your Scotland Supporters Club membership you get to buy two three tickets whatever mm-hmm. for the playoff semi-final what a huge carrot and incentive that is mm-hmm. I mean I know certainly I've got friends who want tickets yeah. and I will be trying to facilitate getting them tickets mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm. I think it has to be yeah what about your preference, Gordon? Israel, Bulgaria, Hungary or Romania? Yeah, I, I don't know if there's much to be feared from any of them, really. I'm fully prepared to eat my words in three, <laughs> three months' time. Um, I think looking at looking at the options, none of them are on particularly good form. I mean, Bulgaria, I've got you know one win. They got one win in eight in the qualifying, and that was a dead rubber against Czech Republic. You know, they've got one win in their last six. Um, Hungary have got one win in their last six. Um, I put out a, a poll on my Twitter earlier... Only 3% went for Romania. Romania seems to be the one that people mm-hmm. don't want. Yeah. Um, I'd probably agree with that. The other three, much or muchness. I think when you look at Hungary beat Croatia and Wales, mm-hmm. that's, that's a bit so of a worry because I would, for you. I would argue that both of those are better than us. I would agree. So, I would agree. But then I always I always look at, especially with international teams, because this, this would always happen to Scotland, is that when a summer break happens it seems to just kill all momentum with an international team and they mm-hmm. beat Wales and Croatia last season whereas this season their form has been absolutely terrible yeah, they've got they've got one win in six mm-hmm. this this season so uh, I'm not overly worried about mm-hmm. that but you're right yes, I, I hope you're right I do <laughs> Romania scared me a bit I had a look at their player list and they've got players littered throughout kind of Europa League or low Champions League level mm-hmm. teams they've got Ajax players Slavia Prague Kluge Genk their keeper plays mm-hmm. for Leon their mm-hmm. uh, captain uh, Claudio Cazero so 32 13 goals and 37 caps his main man for Ludogrets who are always in European yeah. competition mm-hmm. they just scream danger to me they seem to be a bit more on a par with where we are really but I mean if you if you look deeper into their into their qualifying they finished fourth in their, in their group in Group F they only won four of those games, and that was two wins against the Faroe Islands, two wins against Malta. It is probably wins you'd expect them to get. It's probably wins you'd probably expect us to get. They got two draws against Norway, who we'll, we'll come on to talk about. They held but, Serbia twice in the Nations League. Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. So I, 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 I think, think they're all, not bad. I think they're, <laughs> I think they're all going to be difficult. You know, yeah. They are. Argue, I would argue that they're probably better teams than we are in terms of the amount of caps they've got mm. and the the sort of continuity they maybe have whereas I would say our players are as good if not maybe better if you yeah. look at the, mm. the teams that they play for mm. but it's as an actual unit and given the amount of pressure that's on them given how long it's been since we've yeah. qualified for something that all adds up to make it that wee bit harder for us I, th- I think we should feel confident if we draw Israel of course last season we beat them thanks to James Forrest mm-hmm. but they lost four of their last five 
in the group and they finished behind Poland, Austria, Macedonia and Slovenia. I would be disappointed if Scotland finished behind all of them. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of tells you what Israel's mm-hmm. level is. I know they've got some good players, the Boer up front with Sevilla at the moment yep. and they've, uh, they, they tend to score but they also tend to concede quite a lot and that's reflective I suppose of our game with them mm-hmm. last season. Some familiar faces, Kyal, Nier Baton, um, Dabur, as I said, he's pretty famous throughout Europe now. Mm-hmm. I think, though, we would have enough to take either them or Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. Romania and Hungary are the ones for me that I think we would I need would, to yeah, watch out for. Hopefully, a bit. avoid those. Again, I still think with Hamden, with home advantage, which yep. is so huge in sport, in you know whatever sport it is, I think that could be the that could be the key. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if we're leading on to the final, I would say the same. I think I think we really need to get the final at Hamden. Yeah. Uh, to have a really good chance of getting through. Yeah. Who would you rather draw in the final? Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, of course, but mm-hmm. Norway and Serbia are, for me, a lot more dangerous than any team that we can draw in the semi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, I just, if I, can, if I can just read the stats of one player to tell you, it'll tell you exactly why I don't want to play this team. Um, a 19-year-old striker who has scored 26 goals and provided six assists in 18 games this season, which, for maths fans out there, is a goal or assist every 39 minutes, <laughs> including five hat-tricks, seven goals in four Champions League games. That's Erling Haaland, son of Alf Inga Haaland, plays for Norway, plays for Red Bull Salzburg. He absolutely terrifies me. <laughs> yeah. The thought, I mean, you saw the Kazakhstan player bombing forward and putting one in the top corner against Scott McKenna last night. Mm-hmm. The thought of Haaland doing it, yeah, puts the puts the fear into it. And he's got another top quality player behind him to mm-hmm. provide service, Martin Odegaard, yes. on loan from Real Madrid at Sociedad, doing very well in La Liga this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Norway certainly they, they seem to have a bit of a golden generation yeah. about them right now. So, Christopher that... Ayer, defence, of course, yeah. familiar uh, face. Yeah, I think taking them on away from home would just be not a write-off, but it would just be so difficult. Given, well, the, given the pressure that's already on the game for us to then have to play a team that I would argue are at least mm-hmm. as good technically if not right. better I just think that's going to be so difficult well do you guys remember the last competitive game we played away in Norway Burley George Burley was in charge yeah. we lost 4-0 Caldwell red card the, Gary Caldwell red card yeah. the, the, the master plan was playing a centre back pairing of Gary Caldwell and Stephen Caldwell <laughs> who'll play great together because they're brothers and they really, really well <laughs> Gary got sent off after I think 15 minutes or something we lost 4-0 I had thought I'd drunk enough that night to eliminate that game from my memory <laughs> and someone reminded me of it this week and I had not <laughs> looking, looking at uh, Hungary we've not really touched on them 1-4 lost 4 in their group um, they beat Croatia and Wales that is enough for me Ben I think you touched on it briefly that is enough for me to send up a red flag yeah I just think I mean, to be fair, we didn't. It wasn't that long ago that we beat Croatia. Well, I'll actually, same. Home and away. Years, yeah. Home yeah. and away. But so I, I feel like that's it's a wee bit scary, but it's not horrendous because if you look at the last playoffs we've had, it was against Holland and against England. That that to me is when this is the this is the best thing about this draw, given that those were the teams that we used to have to play. You know, this this is our best chance mm-hmm. in 22 years, I would say. Um, I know we've got to playoffs, but when you play those sort of giant nations, it's so difficult. Whereas, you know, yes, they are arguably better than us, but they're not that far away from us that we can't beat them, yep. particularly with a home, yep. a home advantage. The thing, the thing that could 
potentially, and I think this this does seem to be a bit up in the air just now, that could be a get-out-of-jail-free get card for us, is that UEFA seem quite keen to keep host cities and nations apart. Now, Hungary and Romania, Bucharest and Budapest, are both host cities along with Glasgow. So there is a good chance that there could be some sort of side pot agreement on Friday that we can't draw either of those two. Yeah. So therefore it would go down to Bulgaria and Israel, which frankly would be wonderful for Fingers us. Fingers yeah. crossed, yeah. So let's, I mean, the Nations League was a piece of bureaucratic brilliance to begin with <laughs> to get us in this position. Let's hope for one more one more loophole that we can dive through. Let's quickly touch on Serbia, potentially opponents in the final. Do they uh, scare you guys as much as they scare me? Which is a lot. <laughs> They do. They abs- absolutely they do. I mean, you look at the players they've got, and I mean, if you follow the English Premier League, you you know all about Dusan Tadic. You do know all about Luka Milovojevic and Alexander Mitrovic, Sergei Milinkovic Savic over in Italy. I mean, these are really really good players. Mm-hmm. But more than that, again, we've t- we've touched on it before. If we have to go to Belgrade in a white hot atmosphere, and you know there'll be flares and it'll be dark and it'll be just horrible. And, <laughs> I, that fear, that puts the fear into me, yeah. and I'm not even there. <laughs> yeah, that it's an extra level of pressure on what is already a pressure game. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That would, to me, really, that would be the trickiest. It's the archetypical tough place to yeah. go. Yeah. Serbia away, and I'm yeah. not convinced. I'm not convinced that we're settled enough as a team. I think a bit further down the line, Clark might have us where we could deal with that but I'm just not I think this is too soon for that to have taken effect yet so is Bulgaria the preferred draw for all of us here yeah I take that yeah. I take that Do you know Republic I, of Ireland beat them 3-1 not long ago yeah yeah yeah. I actually I had a lot of fun looking back at the highlights from 2006 when the last time we won silverware with the Kieran Cup <laughs> <laughs> when we beat Bulgaria 5-1 um, Chris, Chris Burke scored two Chris Boyd, Boyd scored yeah, two one of Boyd's it. goals was absolutely brilliant you should watch it back <laughs> yeah. like the deftest of chips from the edge of the box a really, really I can't nice remember goal. this at all yeah brilliant it was about 8 o'clock in the morning <laughs> <laughs> quick thing I'd like to discuss is players who aren't, in, aren't really involved with it in my opinion I think have a right to or have a right to a claim to be in the squad Liam Kelly goalkeeper has worked his way into the QPR setup. I think David Marshall as we said number one but yep. Liam Kelly probably worth having around ahead of either McLaughlin or McGilvery if he's getting regular games for QPR absolutely yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. I, think, so, yeah. I think if you look at the, the talent the depth pool of goalkeepers for Scotland I think it's a big concern for us mm-hmm. I think if um, if Liam Kelly can rediscover his Livingston form at QPR he's got the number I, one jersey I, I, now I, I think Kelly will go on to be our number one yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think he has to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean as, as it stands yeah. Yeah. yeah Callum Patterson bit of a forgotten man Callum Patterson I mean he was scoring goals for fun when Cardiff won the championship went up to yeah. the Premier League he did okay and he's been in and out of the team a wee bit recently I think he got injured towards the end of last season mm-hmm. um, but he's back in the, the team now if we need a different option someday uh, up front Jenky should be in the squad it is a strange one because I think he started life as a striker and got moved back to right mm-hmm. back so that's what Warnock was playing him up front though yeah exactly yeah, yeah that's what I mean so then he, he was then put back up and mm-hmm. he is very good in the air um, and mm-hmm. he has got a cannon uh, of a shot so if again if he rediscovers the kind of form that he had when he was scoring a lot then you know he is an option no, but it's just, it just as an option I'm not advocating for mm-hmm. Cam Patterson to be our mm-hmm. certain number nine but if it gets to a stage where it's all hands on deck mm-hmm. we just need to get the ball clear and get somebody who's mm-hmm. big strong and able to hold yeah. it up because I frankly don't trust Oliver Burke or Oli McBurney to do that yeah. mm-hmm. I think yeah. Patterson is somebody who can 
he's he's an absolute wild card. I mean, it's funny that when you <laughs> when you said the name Cam Patterson, I tried to think which position are you pitching him for <laughs> because he's played so many different roles in his career that. I don't know. Does he even know what his best best position is? Does he even know where he it's should be playing? It's maybe been a hindrance for him. The fact <sighs> that he's, probably, yeah. you know, it's hard enough just to nail down one position. Whereas if, if managers think they can get away with playing them in different yeah. positions, yeah. it's very hard to really, you know, sort of nail down that position. An international manager will think, right, well, that's a really good option for right back or centre forward. I thought he was good. I thought I, I I thought he was really good as a right back when he was playing for Hearts. I remember there was there was a summer break where he went away. He came back. He'd clearly spent entire summer in the gym yeah. eating creatine because he was inches bigger and he'd yeah. been really working on his crosses and he could whip those from a deep position he could really whip crosses in and it looks great for him going forward as a right back he's gone to centre forward I understand why because like you said he's so good in the air and you're right I think if, if we're coming into the last 10 minutes of a do or die playoff you're just shelling long balls into the box you need a, like I said a wild card in there that could win a head or score a goal Cam Patterson could be your man. Yeah. Somebody to run the channels. Again, I'm picking on Ollie Burke here. I think Matt <laughs> Phillips is a better shout than him to have in the squad if you need somebody to stick out wide or through the middle mm-hmm. to run in behind. Yeah, I don't think Burke you could really rely on in these kind of games. Um, I think he's another one that maybe just needs to really rediscover the kind of form he had when he was younger. And again, maybe one that has struggled with being played in different mm-hmm. positions. You know, mm-hmm. I thought he looked really good as a winger. I was very surprised to see him then play through the centre, through the middle, where it's a totally different role for a lot of teams. It's a totally different position. Mm. Um, for me, his pace is is his main attribute, and it gets lost when he's up against two centre backs. Mm. Whereas if you put him down yeah. the wing, so again, one that I would keep an eye on and keep involved. But I think he needs to find whatever it was he had to begin yeah. with. Mm. Um, Phillips is doing well this season, Gordon. He is, and you know, I, I was actually really surprised he wasn't included in the in the squads that we did, that we just called up because you know we're not blessed with that many different options mm-hmm. up front, and he is an option, and he's playing well, and West Brom are at the top of the championship, so mm-hmm. you almost wonder, did, did he not fancy it? I mean, was he asked? Did he not uh-huh. want he's, to? He's, I mean, he's, I, I don't he's know. Been he's, here. he's been he here has. under Clark. He has, yeah, yeah, yeah. which which made it all the more baffling that he yeah. wasn't called up because it's not like he hadn't been playing in between mm-hmm. the last international break and this one so mm-hmm. yeah hard to know interesting right, well that pretty much just about covers everything we can reconvene again near the playoffs mm-hmm. have a look at how all the players are doing yeah. individually again please more spreadsheets with you Gordon always <laughs> always that's <laughs> what I do <laughs> so uh, yes uh, you're here Hamden Roar Gordon Shack and Ben Ramage with myself Andy Barge let's look forward to the playoffs we'll find out the draw on Friday yep. let's see what's in store Podcast Network.